From the dawn of time, man has been obsessed with himself. And it didn't take long for us to realize that we could present ourselves with a little editorial discretion. <clears throat> um, David, there's children in the museum. Not only did our ancestors try to hide their insecurities, but they also hid their true facial features. For instance, the puckered lips on Rembrandt's 1640 self-portrait could be the world's first documented duck face. If you could have followed Frida Kahlo on Instagram, you would have become well acquainted with her face. No time to pluck the eyebrows, Frida would have needed a weed whacker. Vincent van Gogh, lend me your ear. He produced over 40 self-portraits in the span of three years and never a hint of a smile, the most unhappy man I've ever seen. With the emerging world of photography in the 19th century, selfies became more popular than ever before. Which brings us to modern day. You may no longer have to deal with the hassles of traditional media, but there's nothing new about taking a selfie. Good morning. Or welcome to Revolution. My name is Nathan. It is awesome to be with you guys today. How many of you are duck-faced experts? Anybody? Like, come on now. Some of you. I, I think it's time we can retire the duck face. It's been around for a while. Anybody with me? All right. Awesome. All of you. We'll just pretend you're with me today. But it is awesome for you to be here. If this is your first time here. Welcome to Revolution. It is awesome, awesome to have you. If it is your first time, I would love to meet you. So you can just come find me after service. I'll, I'll try to find you, but I, I would love to talk with you. And Whitney and I were talking this week. Whitney's my wife. And it was a little bit over a year ago when, for the first time ever in our lives, we drove up to a town called Logansport, Indiana, a little year ago, and we interviewed with a board of weird people from Revolution. No, just kidding. And uh, we interviewed for a couple days, and then they gave an offer and gave me a week to decide, and a year ago, basically a week, a year ago today, this week or last week, we, ex we decided to come to Revolution. It has been an amazing, amazing journey, and I want to thank you. you, you Thank you. I want to thank you guys because you guys have filled a, a void that we were searching for for so much long in, in our lives. And I want to thank you. And we want you to know we appreciate you. We love you. And we're so thankful to be here. And we're not done yet. So if you don't like me, I'm sorry. You're stuck with me for a while. We're here. And if you're online today, we want to welcome you as well. But we just want to say, hey, wherever you're at in, in this walk of your journey, we're glad you're here and you matter here. We're in this series called Death to Selfie, like Nate said. It's a series about our identity. And the reason that we kind of chose this idea of a selfie is so often we're tempted to put our identity and things that are just about us. And, and really, it's, it's kind of natural. Our, our society tells us it's natural to put your, your identity in something. And, and really, our, our culture is kind of obsessed with identity. Anybody ever heard of the Enneagram test? Anybody? Some of you are like, hey, I'm a seven. I'm an eight. I'm a nine. Like, that's our identity. Some of us are, don't like the Enneagram. You maybe like the DISC test. And maybe, maybe you're like, hey, I don't know what the Enneagram or the DISC test is, but I do know what BuzzFeed is. And like, I do know that I can take a quiz and I can figure out what Disney princess my personality is and I take it, right? Like you've taken that. Or you're like, hey, you can find this quiz. Like, it says, hey, figure out what Taylor Swift's song is your life song, right? You do these quizzes, right? And it's all about finding our identity a little bit, right? And by the way, the princess I was was princess, uh, what's her name? Anna, right? Let it go from Frozen that you're welcome, okay? But we're trying to find identity. It, it kind of seems like this. No matter what you believe or you go to church or believe in God or not, no matter what, what you believe, or who you are, everyone in some capacity is searching for something to tell them who they are, where they belong, 
and what gives them value. That we're, we're looking for our identity. We're trying to find our identity in something. And so often, we're tempted to place our identity in places that were never supposed to define us or give us value. So we place it in things like our career. Like, hey, this is who I am. This is my job. It's who I am. We, we place it in our relational status. Well, they're married, divorced, single, widowed, right? We place it in that. Or being a parent, like, hey, parents are awesome, but we're like, hey, my identity's a mom. My identity's a dad. We place it in our bank account, or the stuff, or, or our body. We're placing it in, in things in our life that were never supposed to define us or give us value. There's nothing wrong with marriage. Marriage is awesome. It's awesome being a parent. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But what happens is all those things are shaky foundations. Think about it. At any given point, your relationship Something could happen. It could, it could break. You could lose a loved one like Shelly talked about last week. Parents, like your parents, your parent, your kids grow up and you're an empty nester. You're like, hey, I've been given my identity for 18 years. Now, now like maybe 32 years, right? My, they've been living with me for 32 years. And that's, that's my identity. Maybe your identity is how you look, your body. And you're like, dude, I live in Logansport and the best places to eat are fast food sometimes. Like, like too many Taco Bells, right? Too many value boxes to look good in my body. All those things are fleeting. But we're tempted to define ourselves and find our identity in things of this world. And I think there's a reason why. And Jesus kind of hints at this. He says, you belong to the, your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. This is what he says about Satan. He was the murderer from the beginning. From the very beginning, he's evil, right? And, and he, not holding to the truth. And Jesus says, I am the truth, the way, and the life. He says, Satan, he doesn't hold to the truth. For there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language. See, Satan is speaking to us. And he's throwing out lies. And when he speaks, he speaks his native language lies. For he is a liar and the father of lies. See, Satan wants us to be confused about our identity. He wants us to be confused that we're, what gives us value, what gives us worth, where, where, where we find our purpose. He wants all those things to become very, very blurry in our lives. Because he knows that Jesus is the truth. And that through Jesus, when we put our faith in Jesus, that we have an identity that is not shaky, that does not move, that is always true. And it's things like this. You are loved. That you matter to God. That you have value, worth, and honor, and dignity to God. And you're forgiven. You don't have to live in your mistakes. You don't have to live in your past. You're redeemed. You're given hope of a new future, of a new life. And you're adopted. You're his son and daughter. What it means is at the very beginning of your life, before anyone ever had an opinion of you, before you ever had a job, before you ever could bench press, squat, or deadlift, before you ever had money, before you ever became a parent, before you ever got married, you had an identity. And it was placed on you by the Father who created you and loved you. And he says you're loved, you're forgiven, you're redeemed, and you're adopted. This is the foundation we're to build our life on. That's where we're to find our identity. But Satan wants to confuse us and make it blurry. So what this series is, is a series looking at all the places that we're tempted to put our identity. And some of these may relate to you and some of you may not. And at the end of the series, we're going to look at, well, how do we live in this actual identity that God gives us? Because here's what we know. Where you place your identity and value determines the course of your life. Where you believe you find value, worth, honor, where you feel like you're important, where you feel like your purpose is, where you're going to, it's going to determine the course of your life. So today we're going to look at something. It's going to be fun because one of those topics where some of you are going to disagree, and I love it, right? We're going to we're just be on the edge, and you're going to hear the topic in a moment, and some of you are going to shake your head, and you're going to disagree, like, no, 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 and I'm going to tell you, yes, 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 right? But in a moment, we'll get there. But first, have you ever heard that phrase, there's two types of people? Anybody ever heard that? There's two types of people. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to divide the room into winners 
and the other words, right? You, you, you can decide if you're a winner or not, but I'm going to show you some pictures. Two type of people. Who's this? One alarm. One alarm, people. Where are you at? All right. Winners, right? Okay. The winners in life. All right. How many of you are this? Come on. We're dividing the room. How many of you just like live off the snooze button? Do you know if you just set your alarm like five minutes later, you don't have to hit the snooze? Just saying, right? But there's some of us. So we're already divided. Some multiple lines. Here's what happens though. I feel like this person marries this person. Am I right? Like, this is me. My wife's not here, but this is her. And it drives me nuts. Good thing I wake up first, okay? So that's we're that, and then there's this. Kind of a, a topic amongst the staff. How many of you are Apple people? How many of you are Android people? Okay, how many of you are like me? I'm like, hey, I'm cheap. I'm not paying for an Apple, right? I'm not paying for, yeah, that's me. All right, good, right? We're dividing the room. Okay, winners or losers? All right, we're getting real here. Okay, how many of your phones look like this? Be real. How do you live? Like, what do you do? Like, how do you stay organized, right? Like, how do you live in that chaos? How many of you are like this? Oh, man, it's peaceful, right? Okay, now we get real. This is going to cause some fights. How many of you look like this? I don't know if I believe you, but all right. How about this? Yeah, I believe that about you guys, definitely, right? Now, here's, here's where I live. When people are coming over, this is what my house looks like. When people aren't over, that's what we look like, right? And now that we're divided, you're like, hey, what's the big deal? Who cares if my phone has all these notifications? Or what's it matter if my closet looks like this? To that, I say, I don't care. I'm not your spouse, right? You do whatever you want in your closet, right? Your spouse may have an opinion. But what's the big deal if it looks like this? What's the big deal of my if my backseat of my car is messy? Real quick, how many of you have a really messy backseat in your car? All right, everybody look around. Those are the people in life you cannot trust, okay? All right? You don't want to ride with them, ever. But you're like, hey, what's the, big, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? To that we say nothing. Because it's not a big deal. But what if this represented our life? Now, here, here's what I know about this. See, on the surface, this looks dirty, doesn't it? But you notice, if you look real closely... Blacks, blues, white, orange, pink, red, gray. It's color organized. It's organized by color, right? They know what they're doing. They just jamming it in there. And I wouldn't say it's messy. Well, it is messy, but I would say it's more crammed. It's more crammed. It's more stuffed. It's stuffed in there, right? It's like if you move one thing, it's all going to fall apart. And it may be okay for your closet to look like this, but it's not okay for your schedule to look like this. It's not okay for your life to be so jam-packed that if you move one thing, it's all going to fall apart. It's not okay for your schedule to be so busy that you're missing out what's going on in life. And not, I'm not just saying it's not okay, that when your life looks like this, you're truly missing what God's trying to do in your life. It's crazy. Two types of people, right? We're jammed, we're stuffed. Maybe you're here today, and maybe if you were honest, you can just pull back the, the, the kind of cloth, the, the robe of vulnerability, the, the towel of vulnerability, rip it off, just be vulnerable real quick. You would say, hey, maybe the reason I feel so rushed, I feel so tired, and I feel like I just can never rest, is because I'm living life at an unsustainable pace. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And you know deep down, I don't have to tell you, that it's not good when life feels like this. 
It's not good when you see parents working so much they don't get to see their kids. It's not fun. It's not fun when families are so, they live by their schedule so much they don't really get to invest in themselves. It's not fun. We can't just sit down and pray or go to church and just shut off our minds and not worry about everything else. So the question is, why, why? Why is our lives like this? Because I think most of our lives are like this. Why? Well, maybe, this is where we start to disagree, there's a piece of us that finds our identity and our busyness. Maybe there's a piece of us that we find value and worth in jamming our schedules together. Maybe there's a piece of us that finds our worth in just putting in all those extra hours. Maybe there's a piece of us that finds value in looking, posting on social media and letting everybody know we're busy all the time. Maybe there's just a small piece of us. So I've been on this journey because busyness and that jam picture often describe my life. In the last year or so, I've been on this journey because I I never thought I would talk about busyness. I never thought I'd talk about what we're talking about today. But I've been reading, been researching, I've been doing word searches about what words and what rest means in the Bible. And what I have found is that more people than we think place our identity in a sense of busyness. And I, I see it all the time. In my job, I get to talk to people. I love it. And that's what, one of the things I love about my job. It's so one of the first things I usually ask people in some capacity, like, hey, how are you doing, right? You, you, know, like, you ask them that, and you get some different answers. You know, some of you are grunters, you know what I mean? Like, you grunt, like, how you doing, man? You just, Ugh. like, you grunt. I don't know what that means. I'll just, you know, I'll just accept it, right? Whatever, dude, right? You just grunt, or some of you just, you know, you give, me, you give the whole life story, right? But the stock answer is this, by far. People say good, just busy. Everybody say busy. Busy. Let's say it again. Busy. Busy. Good, just busy. Oh, I'm good, man. I'm busy. But I'm busy. Oh, everything's good. I'm living the dream. I'm just busy. Ooh, what are you doing? This? I don't have any time. I'm busy. I'm busy. How many of you have ever said, I'm just busy? Come on, raise your hand. Right? The rest of you who didn't raise your hand, you're too busy to even raise your hand. You don't even know, right? We're busy. We're busy. And we live in this nation where we're divided by everything. Politics, we're divided on topics, we're divided on sports, we're divided on everything. But everybody agrees on one thing. I'm good. I'm just busy. Whether you're in college, high school, newlyweds, married for a long time, empty nesters, retired, everybody is busy. It's like we live in this time where it's like a badge of honor. Just put that badge on. I'm busy. Because when I'm busy, I have value. When I'm busy, I have worth. When I'm busy, you think I'm accomplishing something. When I'm busy, you think I, I, I work hard. When I'm busy, I feel like I'm somebody. I'm busy. And even just saying all the time that I'm busy, is part, part of your mind starts to believe like, hey, that's who I am. I'm just busy. And there's something about us that we just want to live life packed and packed and packed in our schedule. And sometimes we're busy and sometimes we're not busy. Some of you are very hard workers. You have a job where you work long hours. You put in the time. You're a hard worker and you feel busy. Some of you, you think you're busy and you're not busy. I thought I was busy before I have a kid. I only have one kid. Now I am busy. I can't imagine what two or three feels like, right? Busy. But why is it that we're so tempted to wear that badge of honor of busyness? Like, why, what is it in us like, hey, I got to tell people I'm busy. So I started down that path and looking at my own life and doing some research and listening to someone. And one of my, my pastors I listen to all the time, he says, and at the root of your busyness, your identity and busyness, or why you have to feel busy, is a word that some of you are not going to like. Fear. 
And some of you are like, hey, I'm not, I'm not scared of anything. And I, you know what? Your fear is making sure everybody knows how tough you are because you don't want anybody thinking you're not tough, right? You got fear. All of us got fear. We're fearful. Because we say things like this. This is how you know you're fearful. Hey, if I don't do it, if I, if I don't put in these hours, if I don't work this hard, if I don't, if I don't keep doing this, then it's never going to get done. That's fear, right? Or hey, if I, if I don't do it, someone else will have to do it. And guess what? If someone else has to do it, it won't get done right. Anybody ever said that, right? That's my stepdad all the time growing up, man. Right? He's like, hey, if you guys do it, you do it wrong, right? Or he's like, like, what about this? If I don't put my kids in all these sports, they may never go pro. I'll just leave that one right there, okay? Like, we won't really say anything. But what, what if they miss out? Well, if I don't do this, they're going to miss out. If I don't do this, what will people think? If I don't do this, if I, if I don't have that house, if I don't have that car, I see all my buddies on social media. Like, if I, if I don't post, if I don't have this stuff, if I don't let people know how good my body looks, like, come on, like, what, what, it's fear. It's fear. And fear is such a driving motivator in so many things in our life. It's like, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't, what, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Because if I don't slow down, if I, if, if I slow down, I'm, I'm not going to get that house. If I slow down, I'm not going to make that deadline. If I, if I don't put my kids in the sports, maybe they're going to look back someday and say, listen, like, mom, dad, I wish you would have put me in this. I, I wish. Like, what if, what if, what if? It's fear-driven. So what we do is we cram and 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 we cram. And then it dawned on me this week. Maybe our pursuit to do everything makes us miss what matters most. Because life is funny like that, isn't it? Because I think, well, if I just work harder, and I tell myself, this is the great lie we tell ourselves about busyness. It's just a season, right? It's never just a season, because it just goes faster, right? Think about how slow time went when you were a kid. Like high school literally felt like it was 400 years long, right? Like that was the longest time of my life. It was four years. Maybe a, su a summer or two of summer school in there, so I'm not gonna tell you that, maybe, right? But it felt forever. Now it's like, dude, the summer goes by so quick. Everything goes by so fast. But maybe our pursuit of doing everything or trying to reach whatever we want to reach that makes us feel accomplished, makes us miss what matters most. Because life is funny like that. Because you don't really get a do-over, do you? Like once your 20s are gone, they're gone. And I'm in my 30s now, and some of you feel like that's not that old. But man, if I could have my knees from my 20s, I would, I, would, I would spend a lot of money, right? If I could jump like I could in my 20s, especially like 22, like that's living the dream right there, right? And once your 30s are gone, they're gone. Once your 40s are gone, they're gone. Once your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, we'll, we'll just be safe today and we'll say 90s, right? Once they're gone, they're gone. And, I, and I've got to talk with a lot of people at the end of their life. I've got to talk to people who are farther along in life than me. You know what they never tell me? You guys know this. They never say, you know what? I really wish I would have just spent, working, spent more time working and not being with my kids as much. They never say that. They say like, hey, I wish I would have just like slowed down. I wish I would have enjoyed the seasons. Like I'm in this weird phase right now that like, I have a toddler at home almost two-year-old, and I just want to soak in every moment, because I know, I know from talking to you guys, there's going to be a moment where she reaches for me for the last time, and it quickly becomes when she's a teenager and says, don't touch me, right? That, but that moment is like this. You see it, you know it. 
And maybe our pursuit just to get everything in is making us miss what matters most. You know, James in, in his letter says, what is your life? What is your life? It's like, bro, what do you mean? He's like, listen, you're, you're a mist. You're a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. And to that you say, hey, Nathan, thanks for the heartwarming sermon, right? Like, see you later, dude. Like, how depressing. You're a mist. Why does he tell us that? Because your life is short, and how you live in this mist, how you live in the mist, it matters. It matters. And what often happens is like, I want to make the most out of this I possibly can. And what I've always believed to be true, until just not too long ago in my life, that means I have to jam, 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 jam. And while I'm jamming and cramming and cramming, I'm missing what matters most in the mist. And I've missed it. Maybe you've missed it. Because once those moments are gone and the seasons are gone, we don't get them back. And we can't go back and change it. But we can change how we live here on out. But we're going to be tempted to find our identity in busyness. And our temptation to find our identity in busyness is causing us to miss what God has for us. So what do we do when we realize, like, this is who I am. This is where I'm at right now. It's not my full identity. It's just a piece. But what do I do? Well, one, you have to acknowledge that you may have what I have called the sickness of busyness. The great theologian Dallas Willard said this. He said, listen, hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life in our day. And you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. The first time I read that quote was in a book about hurry. And I fought it tooth and nail. I'm like, what? There's a lot of problems facing Christians today. There's a lot of problems in the world today. And if you gave me a list of 10 things to write, hurry's not even going to make the top 25. But here he is, this dude who's way smarter than me. Listen, he's like, listen. Hurry is the great enemy of your spiritual life. Hurry. Because what does hurry or what does busyness do? It pushes God out. It pushes God out of our lives and it becomes eye-focused, selfie-focused. And so maybe you're sitting here like, hey, how do I know if I'm busy or how do I know I'm living in this? How do I know if I find my identity in this? Well, there's a list someone created that says, hey, here are the 10 things that if you fit this description, if you're like five of these, you know what? Busyness has become part of your identity. Here, here it is. We'll go through it real quick. Irritability. You're just irritable, right? You just, you, you lose your temper really quick. You're just always on edge emotionally. Hypersensitivity. You're overly sensitive about things that really don't cause you to, that shouldn't cause you to be that sensitive. Restlessness. Man, that one hits home. Restlessness. Like, no matter what you do, no matter how many vacations you go on, no matter if you move, no matter how you try to rest, there's just something in you, in you that's like, I, I just feel restless. I feel like there's an emptiness at times, a whole, something missing. Workaholism. You just keep working, putting extra hours, extra hours, extra hours. You just can't turn it off. Emotional numbness. You're just like, eh, eh, right? Out of order priorities. Like things that don't really matter, you, you make more important than things that really do matter. Like working for a company that doesn't really care about you and neglecting your family or just whatever it could be. Lack of care for your body. You, you just don't care. Like not working out, not eating, right? Like just your body, your health's going, but it's getting ruined. Escapist behaviors. You're finding things escaping, like porn, like Netflix, like relationships, like sex, like substances, or even good things. It could be video games. It could be working out. It could be whatever, but you're escaping. 
There could be slippage of spiritual disciplines. Like, hey, I don't have time for God. I don't have time for church. I don't have time for small group. And then there's isolation. You feel surrounded, yet you're isolated. And so I read this list to my wife this week, Whitney. I didn't tell her what the list meant. I just said, hey, I thought maybe it was like four, three or four, maybe five at the most. I said, hey, how many of these qualities describe me? She says, you're 10 for 10, buddy. You're like, all of them, right? Awesome, awesome. Nothing like a wife to tell you exactly where you sit in life. And maybe you read this list. If you were just honest, you don't want to be. But you say, you know what? That's me. So what do I do? What do I do? Because if it's a problem, if it pushes God out, if it doesn't let God work in our lives, we got to figure this out. What do we do? Well, what's the prescription? And the prescription is called the discipline of rest. As soon as we say rest, some of us hate it. Some of us want to push back. I kind of think of my daughter. Like I said, I have an almost two-year-old at home, and I'm a little upset with all you parents who did not tell me this. Bedtime is like a battle. Like, I got to gear up, and I can get ready for bedtime. Like, something happens around 7.30 in my house to my daughter that's not natural. Like, it's just a whole other person comes out, and it's a battle. Even if she says, hey, daddy, you know, night-night. Like, she wants to go to night She tells me, and I say, okay, let's go to night-night. As soon as I say it, it it's over, right? It, it, it flip, uh, switch flips, and she goes nuts. She goes crazy, and she knows she's tired. She knows she's wanting rest. She knows that something's happening, that she needs to sleep, and she likes sleeping. She really likes it. But she wants to fight it. And sometimes us, you're like, you know you need rest. You know you're tired. You know something's missing, but you're like, hey, I'm going to fight it as much as I can. So I want to look at some ideas of truth. And maybe we fight it because we think it's the wrong thing. Or we don't understand it really. So here, here's a, a couple truths. We'll go really quick through the first two, then spend some time on the last one. First one is this. Rest doesn't equal lazy. How many of you know a lazy person? Right? Anybody know a lazy person? Awesome, right? We know lazy people. Rest and lazy are not the same thing. They're not the same thing. And we need to kill that mindset that they are. Laziness is like, hey, you know you have things to do. You know you have things, uh, schedules to meet. You know you have to do things. But you just say, you know what? I'm just not going to do them. I just don't want to do them. Rest is like, hey, I've worked so hard. Uh, I've spent so much time. I need to renew, rejuvenate. Rest and laziness are not the same thing. Matter of fact, here's what the Bible says about work. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. I believe that Christians... As Dwayne DeRock Johnson always says, should be the hardest worker in the room. Like, he has it on his shirts. We had it first. We should be the hardest worker in every profession. We should be the hardest working doctors, teachers, uh, stay-at-home parents, nurses, police officers. We should be the hardest working individuals because we know we're working with a purpose. We're working to bring light into this world. We should be hard workers. So work and laziness are not the same thing. You know what laziness is. You know what it looks like. You know that when I asked you to raise your hand, you thought of somebody, you know that person is lazy. You know what it looks like. Rest and laziness are not the same thing. Second thing is everyone needs rest. Yes, everyone means you too, right? Yeah, I know you think you're the exception. I thought I was the exception. Yeah, I know you think, hey, I don't need rest. And you may have a very big capacity. You know, one, one profession I think has a really big capacity to work long, long hours are farmers, right? I don't know how you all do it, but you work a lot, right? And there's a lot of professions like nurses and doctors and, and people who work second or swing shift. Like, there's a lot of professions that, that cause people to have a lot of uh, capacity to fill their schedule with a lot of things because they go work hard and they do spend time with their family and all that other stuff. But we all have capacity. We all have a lid. And what we think is like, man, if I just work harder, 
If I just spend more time, if I just keep packing, I'll get what I really want. But there becomes a point of diminishing returns where you're, you're not resting. And your body needs rest, even not on a spiritual level, on a, on a health-wise. Every scientist, every doctor tells you, your body needs rest. Cancer is defeated more when you rest more, right? You're less likely to get cancer, less likely to have heart disease, less likely to have high cholesterol, less likely to have stress and depression and anxiety. All these things happen when you rest. When you rest, your body heals. Everyone needs rest. And the final thing is this. Rest is not a suggestion. If you go to what we, where we find our inspiration, what, we're, what we build our lives on, is God's word, on God. If you go to the, what we call the Bible, you start flipping through and you start at the very beginning, it would take you two chapters to get to the word rest. Two chapters. And, and in Genesis, when God's creating the world, he created everything in the sixth day and the seventh day, it says this. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, fill that in for me, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, meaning mean he set it apart. Holy means to set apart. Because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. It continues to say, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So the very fabric of creation, at the very beginning of creation, God created the world with a rhythm with a rhythm that was his chosen design, his chosen rhythm. And that rhythm was that his creation, his, his most prized creation, you and I, would spend time to rest. And he, did, he doesn't just say it's a suggestion. He's like, this is how I, I've created the world for my people to need rest, to need time to renew, to rejuvenate, to pause, to find peace, so we see in creation. Then you can jump forward into the book of Exodus. When God's people, the Israelites, are slaves in Egypt. They've been slaves for 400 years. So all they've known for 400 years is work, work, work. 24-7, they work, 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 work. 24-7, all about survival, all about work, all about fast pace. Because if they don't work, they die. If they don't work, they die, Right? And then God saves them out of Egypt and he brings them into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, he gives them some commands. And these aren't like a list of rules that like do this or bad things happen. He's like, no, no. Do these things so you stay in relationship with me. Do these things so you can experience the life that I have planned for you. I'm creating a new culture, a new country, a new people, and a new way of living. And so he gives them these commands. And we know them as the Ten Commandments. And this is what one of the commands says. It says, remember the Sabbath. Everybody say Sabbath. Sabbath. So remember that word. By keeping it holy. What's holy mean? Set apart. Keep this day set apart. So six days you shall labor and do all your work. For six days he says to them. That's a little different for us so we'll get to it. But it's like you're going to work hard. For six days you're going to work, work, work. You're going to work hard. You're going to have good work ethics. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it. You shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter. So kids, parents are going to hate me for this, but here's, if your parents want you to do chores on Sunday, just take them to Exodus 20, right? All I'll say is that, right? Your sons, your daughters, your male or female servant, nor any animals, nor any foreigner re residing in your 
towns. For in six days, Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh day. He created a rhythm. He created something into the world. He created a rhythm of rest. And so he rested and you're going to rest. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy, made it set apart. So here's what this is saying. God's saying, you're going to work hard to them. He's telling the Israelites, you're going to work hard. And then on that seventh day, you're not going to do anything. You're going to pause. You're going to be rest. You're going to rest in my peace. So God was building rest in, into their new way of living. He built it into the rhythm. So he's like, you're going to take a Sabbath. And the word Sabbath means to stop, to seize, or to rest. So you're going to take this day. You're going to make it holy. You're going to set it apart. And he was so serious about this for them. He says, if you don't do this, one of the penalties can be death. He's like, you're going to rest. You're going to find a way to rest, to have Sabbath, to, to chill. And so it looks different for us today because we have Jesus and we're going to get to that. We're not called to just necessarily take an entire day like they were. They couldn't do anything. But he's like, you need to create a rhythm in your life where you're stopping and where you're seizing, where you're resting in the peace of God. He said, you're to do this and you're to make it holy. You're to set it apart. You're to do this in your regular rhythm of life. Why? Because what does rest teach them? Rest taught them the importance of trusting God. By God telling them that they need the rest, here's what he's also saying. Trust me. Trust me with your outcomes. Maybe that's what God's telling you today. Hey, I see you working. I see you, you, you working so hard. I, I see you jamming your schedule. I see you trying to keep up with the Joneses. I see what you're doing. Just pause, my man, and trust me with the outcomes. Trust me with, trust me with the provision. Trust me with your time. See, rest teaches us how to trust God. Because when we rest and we take time to do this, we learn dependence. See, they had to learn to depend on God because they lived day to day. They didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have Chick-fil-A, right? Chick-fil-A wasn't just closed on Sunday. It was closed on every day. They didn't have it, right? They didn't have DoorDash. They had to get food for the day. They were just trying to survive the day. So resting, they're like, well, if we rest, we're going to die. And God's like, listen, no, no. Trust me enough to, de to de depend on me enough to fulfill your needs for that day. And he did, right? He, he does. You can read Exodus and it talks about that. Teach us surrender. We gotta surrender our will. We gotta have faith. But most of all, it taught them to prioritize God in their life. And our Sabbath today may look different, the way we rest may look different today. But resting and taking time to pause and creating a rhythm of rest, creating a rhythm of spending time in God's presence and peace and just, just doing literally nothing teaches us to prioritize God. See, rest was so much more than just, hey, you worked hard, now you rest. But God's like, no, no, no. I know life is hard. I know life is difficult. So after you work those six days, because the, the order has always mattered. After you work those six days, he's telling them, on that seventh day, I want you to rest. And that rest, you're going to find strength in me. You're going to renew, be renewed by me. So it gives you the power and the energy to now go do it again, to work hard again. You're gonna work hard again. You're gonna rest. You're gonna do it over and over again. He's like, you have to trust that I have this design for you. You have to trust that I will be there to, to give you what you need. You have to have faith. You have to depend on me. You have to surrender to me. 
So what does this mean for you and I? Because we, we can say, well, I'm just not going to do this. And you can be burned out. You, you can be at the edge where like, you just feel like you're empty. Or you can say, hey, you know what? I might try this. Well, luckily for you and I, we have someone called Jesus. Now, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament, and Jesus says, hey, the Sabbath wasn't created, you know, just for something. It was created for man. It was created so you could find rest in God, and Jesus comes onto the picture, and we know Jesus, and he fulfills the Old Testament. He lived the life we couldn't live, and all of a sudden, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. So we don't have to follow that exact command like the Israelites did back then, but Jesus still says, hey, you have to follow my example of rest. You have to find time in your life, and Jesus tells us this. He says, and we looked at it last week. He says, come to me. He doesn't say, hey, come, come to, go to Netflix, or go to your work, or go to the substance. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. He's like, I see you. I see how your life is jammed. I see how your life is busy. I see how you're so stressed out and depressed. He's like, come to me, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's like, learn from me. Look how I lived. Jesus had all these things to do, but Time and time again, he withdrew, and he prayed, and he spent time with God. He's like, learn from me. And he says, take my yoke upon you. Like, take my yoke. And last week, Shelly hit on the yoke, but the yoke was this, this device that you would hook two animals to. And they would pull this plow, and they would have to eat the weight uh, equally distributed through them. So they could pull this plow and carry heavy loads. But the thing is, like, you know when, you, when you're attached to somebody and two people are pulling something, do you know who pulls more of the load? The stronger person. And so it's not equally distributed. And Jesus said, listen, I'll take your yoke. You take my yoke. And my yoke, man, it's gentle. It's humble. And you will find rest in your souls. Because life does not give you rest. For my yoke is easy. Life is not easy at times. But my burden is light. Jesus says, come to me. Find rest in me. He's like, you may not live like the Israelites, but you still have to find rest. You still have to find the thing. You still have to find ways to be renewed. You still have to find time to rest and be in God's presence so God can speak to you and renew you. That this wasn't just for them, but it's also for us. You got to find time. And so he doesn't give us step by step. I wish he would. I wish he would say, hey, just do this and do this and do this. But we get some hints throughout the way. So I, I want to end with this acronym of rest. Here's how we start doing this in our life. Because maybe, just maybe, the void you're feeling, the restlessness, why you need to put your identity in busyness is that you have a hole. And it may just be a hole that Christ is trying to fill and he calls to fill in your life. So here's how we rest. We realize, we realize that we need it. We create rhythms. We set time aside. We make this time holy. We make this time sacred. For some of you, it's what we're doing right now. But we need more than just this. Because even though we come here, we're still distracted. Baby's creating rhythms with your family. Hey, this day we do this. We're just going to relax. We're going to eat breakfast together. We're going to talk. We're going to read scripture. Maybe it's just waking up in the morning, say like, first thing I'm going to do in my day, I'm going to create the rhythm of spending time with God. We're going to embrace that Jesus offers true rest. Not Netflix, not our job, not a substance, but it's found in Jesus. We're going to surrender to his will, realizing, God, I don't want to do this, but I know I need to do this. I need your peace that's bigger, that, that goes past all understanding. And then we trust his promises, that your, your identity is not in your busyness, that life is too hard not to rest, and to follow him and put his yoke on your shoulders. It's light. And in that, you'll find freedom. Let's pray.
God, we're so thankful that you call us to rest, that you call us to peace, that you call us to relationship with you. Father, so what we're going to do the rest of the time today, very intentionally, is we're going to rest, we're going to be peaceful, and we're going to find time to be in your presence, and we're going to shout the world, and we're going to sing our songs and lift our voices to you to give you the honor and praise you deserve. Father, we're going to find time in the next several moments to be here, to be present in this moment, and to have you rest on us. Father, so we pray your spirit moves in this room right here, right now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.